History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to History Goes Bump Redux. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. On this episode, we are going to be featuring Ripley's Auditorium in St. Augustine. Many claim that St. Augustine, Florida is one of the most haunted cities in all of America. We're willing to believe that based on our experiences there. And considering that the city has been settled for over 450 years, it's a defendable claim. One of the oldest structures here and most unique in architectural styling is Ripley's Auditorium. This was once a castle warden, and stories of hauntings here have persisted for years. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Ripley's Auditorium. Ooh, it's unnerving, isn't it? That music. Just breathe it in. Absorb it. It's like you're walking into a Ripley's Auditorium. You know you've been in one. You go to a big tourist destination, and there it is, on the corner. Ripley's, believe it or not. You go in, and it's really weird and oh so cool. And this one, this Ripley's Auditorium, this was the first one. That makes this one the coolest. When one visits the city of St. Augustine, the past oozes through every crack and wall of Coquina. And maybe we should explain what exactly is Coquina. I think that that would be prudent. So this is basically like concrete, only instead of being made out of concrete, it's made out of a lot of natural sedimentary shells. It's compressed over years. This is actually something that has to be quarried and they cut it into blocks it's very similar to tabby, which people may be familiar with, that is man-made, where it's like concrete and oyster shells and that kind of stuff all put together. One is man-made and one is made by the earth, and that is coquina. It is very, very strong. For example, the Castillo de San Marcos is made out of this, and it literally would catch cannonballs. They wouldn't go through it. No, the cannonballs would barely leave a dent. So you can imagine... Several of the structures here are built out of this, so no wonder they've lasted so long. Not only has the city been settled for centuries, but it has seen more than its fair share of death, with pirate attacks, yellow fever epidemics, and war. The main area off the historic district was a mass burial ground. St. Augustine was founded in 1565, making it one of the oldest cities in both North and South America. It is America's oldest city. The city took its name from the day upon which the city was founded by Pedro Menendez de Aviles, the Festival of San Augustine. 
The original town plan was laid out by Governor Gonzalo Mendez de Conzo. 36 original buildings have survived from the colonial period, including the oldest school, which is there. The Spanish, British, and French have all fought over Florida and this city. The Treaty of Paris in 1763 gave Florida to Britain, and the city remained loyal to the crown through the Revolutionary War. When America won, Florida went back to Spain, and in 1821, Florida was part of the United States. Henry Flagler of the Standard Oil Company brought his railroad to St. Augustine, and the city became a vacation destination. And there is so much stuff in St. Augustine that is named for Flagler. You can just feel that man's presence still there. I'm sure he haunts every square inch of the place. Standard Oil Company comes into play with the Ripley's Believe It or Not Auditorium as well. William G. Warden was a Philadelphia millionaire and business partner of both John D. Rockefeller and Henry M. Flagler in the oil company. Warden had already become successful in the oil industry before that with his Warden Fruit and Company Crude Oil Company. He liked St. Augustine and decided to build a winter home here that was known as Castle Warden in 1887. The architecture really resembles a Moorish Revival castle, complete with merlins and wide archways. The castle was designed by the Carrier and Hastings firm. The home featured 23 rooms, which wasn't just an audacious sign of wealth, but rather was a necessary need because Warden had 14 children. Yikes, that's a lot of kids. (laughs) I feel bad for the wife. (laughs) 19 of the bedrooms were for the family and five were for servants. Those rooms were in the north wing. Beautiful hardwood covered the floors in the main hall and upper floors. White Italian marble covered the floor and steps of the first floor. Black Vermont marble filled the fireplaces. And a lead-stained glass skylight towered above the main hall. The last member of the Warden family to live here was Elizabeth Warden Ketterlinus. She and her husband John left in 1925 and the mansion stood vacant for 16 years, except for the occasional squatter. Loverly. Yeah. Well, who wouldn't want to live in this place? It is so amazing. I love the architecture of this building. Maybe you don't care to go through Ripley's Believe It or Not places, but you've got to go just to take pictures of the outside of it. It is such an amazing building. Absolutely. Pulitzer Prize winning author Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings and her husband Norton Baskin. Uh oh. Is that like Carol Baskin? (laughs) Oh, no. Bought the place in 1941 and renovated it into the Castle Warden Hotel. The couple lived in a penthouse apartment on the top floor. The hotel officially opened in 1942 with 25 guest rooms. Many prominent people would come to stay. On April 24, 1944, two women, Betty Nevy Richeson and Ruth Hopkins Pickering, were staying at the hotel and were killed when a fire broke out. The fire swept quickly through the third and fourth floors. Ruth was staying on the fourth floor and was unable to get out of her room. She ran to the window and motioned for help, but no one could do anything. The heat was too intense in the room for bellhops to enter. She was overcome by smoke inhalation. Betty was in a room directly below Ruth's. She was a dress shop owner from Jacksonville and had checked in only 90 minutes before the fire started. She was found in a bathtub, having also died from smoke inhalation. There are some who believe that the fire started on its own with a careless cigarette, and others who believe it was intentionally set. Ruth had been staying in the penthouse because both Rawlings and her husband were away, and Rawlings had insisted that her friends stay at the hotel to get away from an abusive husband. Some believe that her husband set the fire. The story that is told on the ghost train tours that are hosted through the museum is quite different. A certain politician, who had been dubbed Mr. X, 
did what many politicians do. He took on a mistress. Her name was Betty Nevy Richeson, and she was in her 20s. Betty was staying in room 17, while Mr. X was staying in room 13. At some point during the middle of the night, a fight ensued. Perhaps Mr. X was trying to break things off, and Betty threatened blackmail. Mr. X choked Betty to death and placed her body in a dry bathtub. While this is happening, Ruth Hopkins Pickering is in the penthouse above. She was apparently in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mr. X sets fire to the building to cover up the murder of Betty, and Ruth is trapped above the flames. Both women are thought to have died in the fire, but some believe Betty was already dead. Mr. X flees the scene, but he seems to have returned in death. More on that later. So yeah, this is the legend that is told on the tour, and I've never found any evidence to support any of it other than this woman named Betty had been in this building and died in the fire. And I think based on when they think she might have registered to be there, that's how they think she wasn't there for very long. But this is a very detailed story that they will tell you about Mr. X. He signed himself in that way. And there was another man who was down on a lower floor that saw these two fighting and was trying to help Betty out too. So he ends up dying too. It's, it's a very elaborate story. I don't know that there's any truth to it. But there is some activity that happens here in the paranormal realm that lends credence to some of the story that's told. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Rawlings and her husband were pretty distraught after the deaths, and they quickly repaired the hotel and decided to sell it. The hotel eventually closed in 1948. And then Robert Ripley gets connected to the castle warden. Ripley was born in 1890 and eventually became one of the most famous men in America and in all of the world. Kelly, at one time, he received more mail than Santa Claus. Wow, I didn't know that. That's how popular he was. He was a handball champion, but his interests soon changed to the odd. And with the help of funding from William Randolph Hearst, Ripley traveled around the world building his collection of odd items. He detailed his findings in the newspaper cartoon pages with the Believe It or Not panels. Do you remember seeing some of those? Of course I do. Ripley was not only an amateur anthropologist and collector of the strange, he also was a talented cartoonist, so he drew those. The cartoon was fabulously popular and even helped launch the career of Charles Schultz when Believe It or Not published the first Peanuts comic. I did not realize that. <laughs> Ripley was familiar with the Castle Warden Hotel as he had stayed there a number of times. And this guy loves the weird and the odd, so you know he fell in love with this building just like we have. Oh, absolutely. Now, unfortunately, Ripley died young at the age of 58 in 1949. His family remembered his fondness for that hotel, and so they attempted to acquire the building and were successful in 1950. They felt it would be the best place to house Ripley's collection of strange artifacts. This would become the first Ripley's Believe It or Not auditorium. The interior is a series of hallways and rooms, featuring over 800 exhibits in 14 themed galleries. Nearly every strange thing one can think of can be found here, from shrunken heads to ancient artifacts to reproductions of some of the strangest people. The first time Diane visited, there was a giant erector set Ferris wheel turning in the center of the main building, rising several stories. There's a jungle room where you can see a taxidermy tortoise that lived with a hippo tusk in its shell. And you can try on a virtual tribal mask, which we both did. <laughs> and I think we put that picture up on Instagram some time ago. There's a ton of odd art. Captain Jack made from motorcycle parts and portraits made from candy and other odds and ends. Most Ripley's, believe it or not, have the same things in them. They're just a lot of reproduced stuff. And 
Like, you know, when you see two-headed chickens, it's not the actual two-headed chicken. It's just a taxidermy thing. And I've seen most of the same stuff in all of the same museums. But this is the first, which makes it pretty darn special. And I don't know what they ended up doing with that Ferris wheel that was an erector set. They took it out of that main room and kind of redid things there. So, And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. But this building houses more than just creepy and strange artifacts. There is much unseen here as well. It is believed that there are over 18 active entities in the museum. The museum offers ghost train tours at night, which we both have done. I've done it more than once. You've just done one of them, right? Yes, just the one time. The train stops at a couple of haunted locations, and one of them had been a sugar mill. And the museum owns that property now, so you get out, you can explore it. And while you're in the main part of the mill, they tell you some more ghost stories about the city, like the St. Augustine Lighthouse. You hear about the stories out there. And then they give you some equipment you can walk around with. And I've never actually captured anything there or had any evidence there. But they claim that the sugar mill is haunted. The three most talked about and experienced spirits at the museum are said to be Betty, Ruth, and Mr. X. Betty's been captured on film in the theater room, which was part of the room in which she was staying. Phantom women believed to be Ruth and Betty have been seen in the windows and walking the hallways. Lots and lots of stories of people seeing Ruth waving in the window. Psychics feel the same sensations of being overcome by smoke when in the rooms that had once been the bedrooms. Music that sounds like a strained quartet has been heard throughout the building, and sometimes even the plinking of a few piano keys. And one tourgoer claimed to hear a harp playing. The lights and TVs go on and off on their own, and things get moved around in the gift shop all the time. A Florida-based paranormal team, Peace River Ghost Trackers, are friends of ours and they've investigated the museum more than once and shared one of their pictures with us. It appears to be the ghostly apparition of a child sitting in the hallway above the room with the giant erector set Ferris wheel. On one particular investigation, several members of the teams were overcome with nausea several times when hanging out in a room that housed a stuffed moose head. They also saw streaks of yellow and red light which is intriguing to us based on our experiences at McPike Mansion. Yeah, because, you know, I'm always asking for spirits to manifest with, like, colors and stuff. And so when I saw that they had had these streaks of yellow and red light, I was like, oh, I wonder what that looked like. Could be quite similar to what we experienced. Yeah. One member had an eerie pounding of his heart in his chest in the bone room. Dave Lampfen wrote Ancient City Hauntings, More Ghosts of St. Augustine. And in there, he writes about touring the museum with the then director of sales and marketing, Barbara Golden. 
She told him, there are times when you hear things moving on the second floor and you know there's no one up there and everything's turned off. We used to have an exhibit called Wax Hands and it was interactive. It was one of those things where you put your hands in the wax and they would form them around Oh, you. yeah. <laughs> I love the way that they smelled. <laughs> yeah. There was one man who worked here and said one day that he was working up near the exhibit when he felt somebody come up and pull on his belt. There wasn't a soul around. We also have had some objects that I wonder might have had something brought in with them, like a voodoo doll, which belonged to Papa Doc Duvalier, the former infamous dictator of Haiti. You just wonder what kind of baggage is attached to that. It's totally harmless. There are times when I walk through here and I know absolutely that someone's walking along with me. When Carrie came in and she's one of the workers there, she didn't even know about the voodoo doll. But as soon as she came up on the second floor, she heard drums beating. Now that's weird. Oh, wow. And you got to love, this is just the director of sales and marketing that's telling him about this stuff that's going on. A psychic friend of Dave's named Joanne felt the presence of a friendly male ghost. She described as being dapper, wearing a dark pinstripe suit, and six feet tall with short, dark hair. He followed the group around, and when one of the women asked him a question about whether he liked the mostly female group, the EMF lit up. He clearly liked the ladies. I'd say. (laughs) He even went so far as to attempt to follow one of them home. The ladies got out to the parking lot, and one of the women turned on her meter near Joanne, and it lit up to red. Joanne quickly told Mr. Dapper that he wasn't allowed to follow her home, and the EMF went dead. A tour guide named Susan told Dave that she was once pulling curtains into place before a tour when she felt someone run their fingers through her newly cut short hair. She spun around to yell at her co-worker to stop, but when she spun around, she realized he wasn't in the room with her. She thought for sure it was him because he had been teasing her earlier about the haircut. She even went to the hallway to see if he had run out fast. She was alone, and with that knowledge, she ran for her office. I don't blame her. Don't be running your hands through my short hair. Oh, wait, I've had that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you have. Actually, I haven't had it run through my hair. I've just had it feel like it's touching the top of my hair. Because it's spiky. Yeah, you got to feel what that feels like. The auditorium is the first place that I ever experienced a flashlight turning on by itself. They do like an introductory kind of thing in the theater room. You sit in the chairs. They have slides that they play and show you pictures that people have caught of what they think might be apparitions or strange anomalies. And the tour guide will do the flashlight experiment, put the flashlight over on the sidewall where nobody's near it. And she asked it to turn on and it did. And I was like, holy cow, that's like on the TV shows. It just turned on. And we actually were doing a Facebook Live in the crew the first time I was there. So people who were watching that Facebook thing were like, Oh my gosh, the flashlight just turned on. (laughs) And then you might think in your head, because I'm a skeptic, okay, well, it's, you know, heated up or whatever, or they're controlling it in some way. And then she was like, can you turn it off? And it did the little, you know, blip, 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 fade out and turned off. Right. And I was like, whoa. And then she's like, can you turn it back on again? Turn back on again. So I was like, holy cow, there's something going on here. (laughs) On an upper floor, there is the room where they say that Mr. X is said to have killed Betty. Today, that room's called the Vortex Room, and Mr. X has been seen and felt in that room. And by felt, I mean he's choked people. Yeah, not the way that you really want a ghost touching you. Yeah. The first time that I ever did the ghost tour inside of here, I had a weird experience. And what happened is there was a family who had a toddler with them. And the toddler, less than two years old probably, laying on mommy's shoulder, was asleep. 
as the tour guide is telling us the story of Mr. X killing Betty in here and choking her to death and all this other stuff, the toddler wakes up and starts coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And finally, the mother goes out of the room that we were in, the vortex room there, and went out in the hallway and is trying to comfort him. You don't hear the kid coughing anymore. Tour guide gets done telling us the rest of the story and all this stuff. We go back out in the hallway and I kind of hung back and I went up to the mother and I was like, um, does your child have a cold or something? Is there a reason why he was coughing? And she said, nope, he does not have a cold. And the minute I brought him out here, he stopped coughing. And I said, well, that's weird because they were just telling us that people feel like they're being choked in that room. Yeah, it's very interesting. We know children sometimes are more susceptible to supernatural activity. Was this toddler feeling Mr. X or something choking him in there? I don't know, but it was just weird. Mr. X definitely seems to be an angry entity or whatever is in this vortex room. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that coincides with that story. This sensation of hands around the throat or a feeling of being choked is very common in that room. I've also been on another tour where somebody in that room has complained about feeling like somebody is putting their hands around their throat. Which, again, I have a hard time believing sometimes because I'm like, well, if you know the story, maybe you're just throwing that in there. I don't know you. If I started to feel it, then I'd be like really freaked out. Right, exactly. A former tour guide named Brenda was once giving a tour in this room when she felt two hands wrap around her throat. She couldn't speak after that for a few moments. And then when she could speak, she said a few things in French, which she didn't know. Say what? <laughs> so I'm like, uh, were you repeating something you were being told? I mean, I don't know the specifics behind the story. I would love to know. Did she hear the French and was repeating it? Did she feel like she was possessed for a minute? I don't know. But she ushered her group out of the room, finished the tour quickly, and retired from tour guiding after that for good. Oh, wow. And I don't know that she's ever been back in the building again. Did she have to go wee wee? Wee wee. Je ne sais quoi. Oh, look at you speaking ça. French. No, I don't. I probably butchered it. No, I don't even know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded good. A manager named Roberta was in the lobby at closing time by herself when she heard the disembodied whimpering of a woman. She checked to make sure nobody else was in the lobby. She met up with the other employees in another room, and one of the women who worked ticket sales in the lobby said that she had had the strangest experience earlier in that day. She claimed to have heard a woman whimpering in the lobby two separate times. So in total that day, a woman was heard whimpering three times. Roberta had also witnessed a strange hazy glow in the theater room that rose up and disappeared. The Ripley's Auditorium is intriguing and fun to visit. We highly recommend you checking it out. And they offer a couple of different train tours or trolley tours that you can take around the town. There's the Old Town Trolley and then Ripley's has its own. It's called the Red Train. I've done both. They're both equally good. I encourage people to do the Ripley's Red Train because then usually you can get the ghost train thrown in on it as well. And the ghost train is the only way that you get into the auditorium at night. And it's got to be the creepiest place in town at night because you got all the weird stuff in there. So even if it wasn't <laughs> haunted, it's pretty creepy to be walking around because they don't have the lights all up. It's like kind of mid lighting. So it's kind of dark and shadowy and right. just a lot of fun. Is the Ripley's Auditorium haunted? That is for you to decide. We decided to do these reduxes and uh, we think it's a nice opportunity for us to revisit some of these locations that we did early on in the show. Now our audio is good. We've got the new co-host here with Kelly <laughs> who missed out on, gosh, 300 plus episodes. So 
I think it's just nice to get it and we can update these things. A lot of the time now we're going to have visited these places and we can talk about what it was like to visit them or investigated them ourselves. So we're looking forward to bringing you a lot more of these reduxes. We certainly are. So thanks for joining us for this one. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs>